Well, you know, when all this first began, uh, I was thinking that maybe we weren't going to be able to do Vacation Bible School, but we're going to do it a little bit differently this year. We're going to do VBS in the park. And Concrete and Cranes is our theme this year. Uh, you can see, uh, like the one little boy, he just wants to get an excavator and dig a big hole. And I thought, that's like every man's dream. It's not just little boys. So, so we're going to do it out at Zenith Park. Uh, we're going to be so far spread. It's going to be the safest place in town. Uh, we're going to be spread all through the park. So if you uh, have a kid uh, who wants to go, you can go to fbccloudcroft.org. Uh, uh, and the first slider there, you can click on that registration button and register for that. If you want to help with that, then uh, you can go to the same place, click on that, and just register as a volunteer, and we'll get in touch with you. Uh, it's going to be really fun. I can't, not, I, I can't believe it's just like two weeks away. Uh, is that right? Did I get that? Yeah. So it's going to be a busy week is what I'm thinking. So we're excited about being able to do that. Do it outside. It may be actually a great way to do vacation Bible school. One of the things that I'm looking forward to the most is there's going to be hardly any cleanup at the end, right? Uh, here, you know, we got to take everything down and make it a church again uh, after VBS. So we're excited about that. So uh, if you're watching uh, a live stream, you can go to fbcclockcroft.org and you can click on that and register. Uh, you can do the same here. Um, by the way, I always forget to, to do this, but um, you can do this anywhere you are. If you've got the Version Bible, you can click on there and you can go to events and we have our notes that are on there. Our announcements are also on there at the end, and you can, you can go that way as well. We're glad that you're here today. Some of you are here, here, uh, second week in being back together. Uh, we're so glad to, to be able to, to reiterate back. Um, I, I got to tell you, for those who are watching on live stream, we're not going to stop doing that. You continue to do that as long as you feel comfortable doing it. If it gets to the place, though, that Couch Church... Um, is, is your preference, and, and it's not a concern in coming back, we, we might come and visit you. <laughs> um, I, in youth group, uh, we used to do this all the time. We would show up about 30 minutes before youth group started, knock on the door, and you were gone. Boy, you just went in a car with us. So, no, we want you to, to uh, watch on live stream as long as you feel comfortable doing that. But we do have plenty of room. You can, we not only have the sanctuary that's set up uh, for worship, but we have the fellowship hall for overflow uh, that we're live streaming to. So if you want to come and sit apart from everybody, we have a place for you. And it's not the dungeon. Um, uh, my, my daughters have been helping me get uh, together. So I know I have some guests with us. I have two daughters. One's almost 27. One is 19. My wife hates it when I say this, but I was really young when they were born. I'm, I'm not old enough to have kids that old. But they've been helping me do that. And, and here's what they say that the basement is. The basement is where you go for worship when you want to get down. That's right. Um, they get that from their dad, unfortunately. So we're glad that you're here today. Glad that, that you're able to come and not only worship together with us, uh, but open God's word and let him speak to us. So uh, uh, let me just catch you up a little bit. We're in Luke uh, we're going to start today in Luke chapter 2, and what we've been doing is we've started going through the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke. And, and just by way of reminder, Luke is the doctor. Luke is, uh, I, I know that this might blow some of, of your minds, uh, don't, don't mean to do that, but you, you know that of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only two of the gospel writers were disciples of Jesus. Only two were the apostles, and that's Matthew and John, they bookend the gospels. Mark and Luke were not disciples of Jesus. Mark was a disciple of Peter, 
So when Mark writes, he's basically writing the gospel according to Peter, uh, which might uh, explain why he takes it a little bit easy on Peter and some of Peter's big uh, mess-ups. He still puts them in, but, but he, he takes a little bit lighter touch than the others. Luke is a doctor. And Luke tells us in the beginning of his gospel, his account of the life and ministry of Jesus, that, that Luke is, is that, that he researched, that, that he undertook this uh, kind of as a project. And, and so he interviewed eyewitnesses. He talked to people uh, who were there. And he, he set out to put together an orderly account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And he writes to this guy named Theophilus, which in Greek means lover of God, uh, which all believers ought to be, right? So he's writing to Theophilus. Luke is putting this together. And, and uh, I, I just, I love this. I'm a detail kind of guy. Luke was a detail kind of guy. I don't know about you, but I want my doctor to pay attention to details, especially if he's like a brain surgeon or something like that, right? I, I want him to be meticulous. I don't want him to get to the end and say, hey, do you know where we put that scalpel? <laughs> um, so Luke is, Luke is a detail kind of guy. He's, he's a physician, and he writes this account. And let me just go ahead and tell you that the big idea up front in case you doze a little bit as you go. One of the hard things for pastors, you might not realize this, is watching the live stream. And this might freak some of you out who are watching the live stream now. Uh, we can see actually how long you're on. And, and, and I know that, you know, we're watching those, and man, the views just continue to go, and we're really careful not to overinflate, you know, stuff. So you look on there, and, 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 uh, uh, we've been told by people who know this kind of thing that we shouldn't count the three-second views. If they only watch for three seconds, we, we shouldn't count. They weren't there. And, and, and that was supposed to be funny. Was, I know all the people who are watching online are just laughing because they're still cooking breakfast while they're watching this. So anyways, uh, don't even know where that was going. Let's get back to this. So the good, oh, I know, in case you, you, you tune out at, at some point, uh, which happens, um, the big idea is this. We have a faith that is founded in fact. Now, now I don't know uh, of, of your, your faith journey uh, with Christ. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't meet the Lord till I was 15. So I didn't have any kind of biblical foundation. In fact, I, I shared with the early service, and it's, it's absolutely true. Um, I, I had a really whack theology. You, you leave a kid to make up their own theology, and this is the kind of thing they come up with. I got to seventh grade. I didn't meet the Lord until after ninth grade. Got to the seventh grade and was in science, and he began to teach about evolution. Well, I, I didn't really have a Bible foundation, but I, you know, you hear stories as kids, and I heard the story about this guy named Adam and his wife named Eve, and that they ate from a fruit and, you know, messed up. And, and so I'm trying to reconcile these two, evolution with that. Here's my whack theology that I came up with. God must have put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to see what they're going to do, what they would do. And when they messed up, he pulled them out and then said, ah, we're going to go the evolution route. So don't ever leave a kid without a foundation. We need to give them a good foundation. And, and what, what we need to know and, and what I love by reading uh, in Luke is that we have a faith that is founded in fact. It's not a blind faith. It's not something that we, we have to put aside reason and science and, and, and all that and say, yeah, contrary to everything, this is what I believe. It's not like that at all. And you'll see this uh, as we read. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Luke writes this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town, 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I, I just can't help that, you know, think we're celebrating Christmas in June. Uh, because as I read this, I, I, I've, I've been around long enough um, in, in, as a believer and in churches that, that all of those Christmas plays that kids do just start playing in my mind. And, and I don't know if you were there, but as we read about Joseph and, and Mary, and as they travel to Bethlehem, you know, I can just see the little kids dressed up like Joseph and Mary. And that they, they laid Jesus in a manger in swaddling cloths because there was no place in the inn. And, and I can even picture uh, one time before we renovated the sanctuary, the stage was over there, and there was a little kid who was the innkeeper. And I think he enjoyed telling them there was no room for them in the end and and as you read this with me i i don't know if, if you're like this I, I when i read the bible i just kind of get into it and and read it as if it were a, a novel I, I want it to become alive to me and so i put myself there and, and i'm reading along and the first thing that stands out to me uh, in this passage is that man luke includes a lot of detail i mean he's you ever you ever get this you ever talk with somebody and 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 they start their story and and you wonder like where when are they going to get to the point uh like if you were to ask me uh, about my truck and i say well all right so let me tell you the story it, in 1982 um my, my dad got me a, a mercury bobcat and you're like what does that have to do with anything and then someone ran into it, and it did $200 worth of damage, which totaled the car, according to the insurance company. And so he went and bought me a Ford Pinto. I don't know if you know this, but the, the Mercury Bobcat was essentially the Ford Pinto. I think my dad was trying to get rid of me. Um, th- those were the ones with the bombs in the back, you know, the gas tank. And so, by the way, you guys, some of you know those. You remember that, right? The Ford Pinto? You know that they, they had a recall on those because they kept blowing up when people hit them from the back. So I took mine in to get it fixed. Do you, do you know how they fix those? Did y'all ever have that? They, they basically took what a little piece of a rubber mat and put it between the gas tank and the rest of the car. And I thought, well, I feel safe now. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if that, I didn't try it to see if it worked. And you're saying right now, what does this have to do with anything? And, and that's kind of how you feel when you get to Luke. Luke starts out this way. He gives us this detail. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that all the world should be registered. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, this is just kind of the introduction we're getting. We'll get to Jesus in a minute. And, and then he goes on with, this is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So, I mean... We, we, Quirinius, he, didn't, he didn't, isn't even, I can't even get this out quick enough. He's not even mentioned anywhere else. So, yeah, he's just a little blip. Okay, so that, that's, you know, put that in there in case it comes up with trivial pursuit. Some of you don't know what that is. You've missed out on a lot. Then he, then he says, Joseph, so finally we're like, okay, now we're, now we're kind of getting to it a little bit. Joseph went up from Galilee, from Nazareth to Judea to the city of Bethlehem, where he was of the house and lineage of David. Well, at least now we have Joseph mentioned, although we, we just haven't gotten there yet. And then he says, with Mary, 
to whom he was betrothed. Now, I just have to make a little side note because we live in a whole different culture now than they did then. Have you run across this? You, 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 you talk with this one couple and, oh, I'd like to introduce you to my fiance. And you're like, oh, your fiance, that's great. So when are you guys going to get married? Oh, we haven't talked about a date yet. Well, how long have you been engaged? Oh, coming up on three years now. So uh, just so you know, engagement or betrothal, that was a whole different thing then than engagement now. In in fact, in in one of the other Gospels, it talks about uh, Joseph finds out that Mary's with child. He's going to literally, he would have to divorce her. He would have to give her a certificate of divorce. So betrothal was a legally binding thing. It, It wasn't you know, hey, let's just say that we're engaged so that people don't look at us weird. Um, so so that's when we get to that, that's kind of important to know, especially if you know the rest of the story. Um, when Gabriel talked with Mary and Mary said, I'm, I'm not even married. How is this going to happen? Then we finally get to the thing that we would think, you know, th- this is the main thing here. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And if you're like me, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of weird. I, I like detail. Do we have any other spreadsheet people out there? Anybody like spreadsheets? I love spreadsheets. They're, they're amazing. They're cool. Do you know you can link them together? When I was a contractor, I, I was a contractor for nine years. I didn't, we didn't have a spreadsheet or a, a, a bidding estimating program, so I made my own with spreadsheets. And, and I would just check those little things off. You know, when I went to go bid a job, I'd get back to my office and, and I would put, put the numbers in, you know, like one replace the 30X to your door. I'd put how many of those and all those things. And it would just figure everything. It would tell me how much th- the bid was. And that was including the material, the labor, the overhead, and the profit. It'd tell me how many gallons of paint I would have to buy. I'm, I'm digressing a little bit. Anyways, you, you get the point. I like details. But even with Luke, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, why include all the detail? Why does Luke feel the need? to include all this detail as, as he goes along. Well, well, let me tell you three reasons I think that Luke has included these. One, because it really happened. You talk with people, and, and when they're telling a story, they, they give you this incredible detail, and you're probably thinking, I don't need to know that. I don't need to know that your first car was a Mercury Bobcat. Actually, it was a, a, a Grand Prix, but it didn't last but a few months, so I don't count that one. Um, they, they include detail because that's, they, it happened. It, it was true. Secondly, I think that Luke is including the detail for us here to help give us a better understanding of the circumstances. If Luke had just jumped to that last verse, verse 7, and said, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end, we would be thinking, what? Whoa, wait, we, we missed something here. So so Luke in, includes that so that we'll know the circumstances. This is why God, the Son, the creator of everything that is, was born and placed in a manger. There, there wasn't even a place for them to stay. It, that makes sense when you think about, sure, because everyone that, that Bethlehem was their birthplace, their hometown, they came back. And, and, you know, Joseph was a carpenter. He wasn't a well-to-do man. He didn't have another home in his birth town. He he just had to show up and try to find a place, and everyone else had beat him there, I would imagine. Uh, hopefully, Joseph was a little bit slower moving with his wife, who was great with child. 
And so it helps us to understand the, the circumstance a little more. But I believe there's another reason that Luke has chosen to include all of this detail with us, and that is so that the account can be verified, so, so that, that we can check it out. Do, do you know that you can go and check and find when Augustus Caesar was in, in power in Rome? You can go and find out when Quirinius was governor in Syria. You can find those things out. This is history. These are things that happen. These are facts that you can check out. And, and that was kind of what Luke said in the beginning, you know, that, that he, he investigated all of these things. And I'll just read to you. Here, here's what Luke says, the reason why. And, and once you remember this, you, as you, we go through the rest of the gospel and just see that the, the great amount of detail that luke gives us here's why here's what he writes chapter 1 verse 1 and as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us just as those who were from the beginning who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us it seems good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you most excellent theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That, that last verse really sticks with me. Um, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I told you a little bit about my, my whack theology that you know, I just kind of came to the table with. When I met the Lord at 15 years old, I, I didn't have a foundation. In, in fact, I came to faith in Christ just because God was working and dealing in my heart. I was with my, my aunt and uncle, my grandmother in East Texas, and and had been going to church with them, and God just began to work on my heart. I understood that I had sinned. Trust me, uh, that, that wasn't, you didn't have to convince me of that. I knew that. But that my sin had created a separation between me and God, and that God was drawing me to himself, and that Jesus had died on the cross for my, my sin. I, I got that, but I didn't have the foundation. So I thought, as a 15-year-old teenager coming to faith in Christ, that, that you just, when, when I heard the word believe, that you just kind of had to believe it existed with absolutely no evidence, with absolutely no foundation for your faith. It was just blind faith kind of for me. And I believed God did the work in my heart. And, and here I am today. But when I got to 11th grade, that was just before my 10th grade year. So I got to my 11th grade year, a, a one-year-old Christian, you know, still just uh, amazed at the things in, in the Bible my history teacher did something for me. She didn't just do it for me. She was teaching history. But she did something that began to lay the foundation for my faith. She was talking about our calendar that we have. Right? So we know, and I don't know if you guys know this. Do you know there's no year zero? Have you ever thought about that? We have 1 AD and 1 BC. There's no zero year. That, don't, that was news to me, you know, back then. Um, so... So she began to talk about where we got our calendar from, that when we say now, and, and I know people are trying to change it, but we, we live in the year 2020 A.D. That word A.D. is Latin. It means anno domini. Yes, I remember this from 11th grade. Anno domini, it means in the year of our Lord. 1 B.C. means before Christ. That rocked my world because I thought, you mean to tell me that my trust, my faith in Christ isn't blind faith, that our calendar 
of all the Western world, our calendar is based upon the birth of Jesus Christ? That when Jesus was born, boom, that is the year of our Lord. Everything before then was before Christ. All of history in our calendar is based on the birth of Christ, that Jesus is a historical fact. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, yeah, well, I didn't know that. I just thought it was blind faith. I didn't know that history was based on it, that there was a foundation for my faith. And that began my journey for building this foundation. And I've tried really hard to do that with my kids, to let them know, look, it's not blind faith. To be a believer, to trust in Christ, to be a Christian, doesn't mean that you have to set aside reason. It doesn't mean to all, all evidence to the contrary that you believe. No, no, there's plenty of evidence for Christ. And it's all the way through. And, and I love the way that, that Luke begins to... To do this for us, uh, our, our men's Bible study is, is actually going through a study called Is the Bible Reliable? And it's really good. Stephen Myers, uh, you know, crazy smart guy with a Ph.D. and other degrees, uh, really digs into the archaeology of it. And, and it's amazing to me that, that there has not been an archaeological find that has disputed anything in Scripture. In fact, we find it the other way. Did you know that for years, and we live in a great time of archaeological discovery, for years they thought that Pontius Pilate was just made up. There was no extra biblical evidence for Pontius Pilate. And then there's an archaeological dig, and they discover an inscription to Pontius Pilate. It amazes me, the same for Quirinius. I mean, you know, you can go back and look, and, and, and the archaeological finds just uncover really what we already see in Scripture. It's founded in fact and that's the faith that we have it's it's not a blind faith it's not an ignorant faith it's not and i know people they think you know it's either the bible or science it's not really that you can follow jesus christ with your eyes wide open with all of your reason intact in fact there have been many who have come to faith in christ by following the facts. Lee Strobel is one. Uh, mere Christianity. Somebody help me out. C.S. Lewis. Um, they, they set out to disprove Christianity. And what they found is that these things are true. Peter and John, I love this in Acts. I believe it's Acts chapter 4. They get arrested because they had healed a man in the name of Jesus. And, 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 and the re- religious leaders bring them in and, and they, they rough them up a little bit. They get to spend a night in jail. And they bring them out, and, and, and there's no doubt they can't dispute the fact that God has performed a miracle. And so what they tell them is, all right, so you guys go out, and you don't teach any more in the name of Jesus. And, and I, I love their response. They didn't say, but we believe it so much. They didn't say that, that, that you know, we, we have this whole belief system now. You know, we can't throw that away. What they said was that we can't, that basically... This is uh, one of the instances of civil disobedience. They said, you do whatever you feel like you need to do. The way they said that was, uh, you be the judge whether we should follow God or follow man. But as for us, we can't help but teach and talk about the things that we have seen and heard, things that were fact, things that happened. I love the way that Paul does this for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul Paul sets out for us really something that, that we need to, to know and understand. 
first of all, we need to know why we believe what we believe. Unfortunately, we have generations that have gone off to college and we haven't given them that foundation. And a teacher there starts attacking the validity of Scripture and they don't have a leg to stand on because they've never been given a foundation that the Bible is true, the Bible is historically accurate. That, that you can verify things that are in here. But it's not only important to know why we believe what we believe, we need to know what we believe. And, and Paul encapsulates that for us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. Here's what he says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. We need to know, and, and 1 Corinthians is one of the early uh, uh, letters that were written in Scripture. This was around even before then. This saying, Paul's saying, this was delivered to me, and I'm passing this on to you. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and then last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You, you get what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying, listen, you need to know what you believe. You need to know that this is fact, that Jesus died on the cross according to Scripture. What does that mean? It means that it was foretold, that, that thousands of years it was foretold that Jesus would be on the cross, just hundreds of years in Isaiah. So graphic, you would think that Isaiah was there at the crucifixion. But it was not also foretold when he says, according to scriptures, what he's saying is that Jesus died on the cross taking our sin. Paul says uh, later in or earlier in in first Corinthians. He says, for God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when Paul's saying according to scriptures, it was foretold that it would happen. But also you remember in Isaiah, it says that he took our punishment for us. Our, our sin was laid upon him, and, and that scripture that we like to use for physical healing, but it's really talking about spiritual healing, by his stripes we are healed. That he was beaten for our sin, that he took our sin upon himself, then he took the punishment of God for our sin. That's what Paul's talking about, but not just that, that he was buried. Listen, he didn't faint on the cross and then was revived a little bit later. He died. He was physically dead on the cross. He was put in a tomb, and then on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures to prove that everything he said was true. But, but it doesn't stop there. Here's what I kind of thought as a brand-new believer, again, not having the foundation. I kind of thought that Jesus died on the cross, they put him in the tomb, and then, you know, he appeared to the disciples, and in poof, he vanished. And the disciples went around and said, oh, Jesus is alive! You just missed him! <laughs> You know, sorry, you're a little day late and a dollar short. That's not what happened at all. You need to understand that when Jesus rose from the dead on that Sunday, that he was around for six weeks, for 40 days, Jesus appeared to people. Paul lists them, some of them off. He, he appeared to the, to the disciples, to all the apostles, at one point, Paul says, he appeared to over 500 at one time. 
500 people at one time, and Paul makes a little side note. Most of these people are still alive. You can go ask them. And then Paul says something that's way cool. And then he says, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Well, that sounds a little bit odd. But think back to Paul's testimony, how Paul came to faith in Christ, that Paul was on the road to Damascus, and he was blinded by this light, and Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. Let me pick this out. Let me flesh this out just a little bit for you. Paul didn't just see a vision. We, we kind of think that. You kind of think that as you read through. But Paul clarifies for us here. Paul saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised bodily from the dead. Jesus has a glorified body. Jesus, in his glorified body, hung out with them for 40 days. He ate with them. He slept. He was there with them. And when Jesus went back to be with the Father in heaven, he went back with a body, a glorified body. And, and while he was here, he was suffering servant, right? When Jesus comes back, he's coming back as reigning King of kings and Lord of lords in a body that we can touch. The nail prints are still in his hand. The hole is still in his side. Jesus rose from the dead, not a ghost, not a spirit, in body, and he still lives. He is at the right hand of the Father right now in bodily form, waiting for the Father to say, Son, it's time to come home, to go back and get them and bring them back. I didn't know that. (laughs) I thought you just had to believe blindly. Here's what I want for us today. I, I want for every one of us to know what we believe and to know why we believe it. I want us, as as Peter says, to be able to give an account for the hope that is within us. If someone catches you and says, why are you a Christian? What were you doing in that church? Those people are weird. And and we are, but it's a good kind of weird. What what, what were you doing in there? I I, I want you to be able to give an account for the hope that is within you. And, and, And so here's, Here's why I believe. I believe because Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He took my sin. And he took the penalty for my sin. He took the wrath of God for me. All of it. So there's none left. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 8, chapter 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know why? Because God's condemnation was on Christ. There's none left for me, for those who trust in him. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. He came back to life. It's not like Buddha who died, and we, you know people just follow him because of his memory. It's not like Confucius who just had some good things to say, and, and he's dead and gone. Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. He hung out for 40 days with people to prove that it happened. Nobody anywhere disputes in Scripture that you didn't see any of that. You can't find any extra biblical evidence. They've never found a body. Why? Because it's in heaven with God. Nobody's done that except Jesus. But that's not all. I believe because he died on the cross for my sin, sin, he rose from the grave, and he's changed my life. To say that I was a stinker 
as a 15-year-old is really putting it lightly. In fact, if I told you my testimony, I would have to keep reminding you that all that happened before 15. He changed me. He's still changing me. I'm, I'm different now than I was last week. No, I didn't have hair last week. That was a few weeks back. That's why I believe. And it's a faith that's founded in fact. And the more I study, the, the more I realize the abundance of evidence for Christ. The abundance of evidence that we find in Scripture. So, so when Luke takes his time getting to the point of the story that we'll flesh out next week, that finally Jesus is born. The reason Luke takes his time getting there, the reason he gives us all of that detail is because it happened. (laughs) You don't make up detail for something that didn't happen. It happened. He's telling it like it is. He's telling us so that we understand the circumstance into which Jesus was born. But he's also telling us so that we can verify the account of Christ. And he, Luke does that all the way through the gospel. Good grief. Names of people and places and times. And, and so today, let me encourage you to, to stand firmly in your faith, to know what you believe and to know why you believe. And, and, and even for those who are watching on our live stream, if you've never come to a place where you've trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, I would I would. I would beg you to do that today. It's not a blind faith. Hey, maybe this is the beginning of a journey for you to to go and investigate Scripture and investigate the claims that are in Scripture. I promise if you do that, you won't be disappointed. Maybe you came to faith in Christ long ago, just just like I did, and, and, and maybe you didn't realize that there was a foundation of fact that, that our faith is built on. I would encourage you to, to, to set out and, 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 and discover Scripture all over again and the validity of Scripture. If you need some help doing that, you, you, can, you can message, message, gosh, email. That's the old school thing. Uh, you can email the church office, firstbaptist at tularosa.net. Uh, all that is, is on our website. You can catch me after the service today. I'd love to give you some resources that can help you make sure that your faith is founded in fact. But more than that, I want us today to, to say, God, I want you, I plant my feet firmly on the foundation in Scripture, and I want you to move in my life. Not only do I believe, but I want you to so work in my life that everybody around will know it. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in such a way that people ask me, what, what is it that you have? Why do you believe? So that I can share with them the thing that's not only changed my life, but it's changed my whole direction for eternity. Thank God that happened for me at 15, but there are people in this world who are adults who have no hope. For them, the world is nothing but darkness, and they're trying to eke out a living in, in this world that gives you nothing but hopelessness. And I want to be able to tell them why I believe and what I believe so that God can work in their heart and draw them into a place where they can have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's what I want. And I I encourage you 
today as we enter this time of invitation to say, God, I believe. Maybe for some, it's the first time you say, I believe. Would, would you change me? Would you forgive me for my sin? Would you make me like Christ? I know that sounds crazy to even say. Uh, and let me live in such a way that others would come to faith in Christ too. Let's pray together. Lord, you're amazing. The way you love us, uh, we can't comprehend. The way that you pursue relationship with us amazes me. Lord, after 37, 38 years. God, would you work in my heart in such a way that in this world of darkness that, God, you would be the light in my life that others would see. God, would you provide opportunities for me to be able to share the good news that you love the world so much that you gave your only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. And God, when you give me those opportunities, would you give me the courage and the boldness to share with them? Lord, let my life back up my mouth. And Father, would you move and work in ways that will bring you honor and glory and bring people to faith in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.